I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 1. The message I'm bringing this morning is entitled, The Gospel Needs Nothing Added, Nothing at All. Maybe this will be part of a short series, but I want to talk about how God calls us to edify one another in the light of who Jesus is. Colossians chapter 1, can read verse 24 through to verse 29. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake and in my flesh. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. A number of years ago, there was something like a panic amongst new parents as they're seeking to bring their children up and uh, being concerned about all the additives that were given to various foods. Well, the gospel is pure food. It needs no additive. But one of the dangerous additives we were told about were the E additives. Those were the chemicals that uh, like found in certain drinks and things like that, give to children sugary drinks, and it would, they would kind of just go crazy because it would really kind of energize them, over-energize them, become hyperactive. You'd walk into the home of a young family with young kids and you could tell straight away who'd been drinking what ease because they were running around like crazy. Well, there are three E's which are not additives, but they are part of the gospel. And these E's, God wants us all to take them and they will energize us and give us the strength we need to do what God calls us to do. These are the E's of evangelism, bringing people to faith in Christ, edification, building up others in Christ, and also equipping, preparing one another to serve Christ. Now this very much is the way the Apostle Paul approached things. I'll be speaking about edification, that second E. We'll come back to the others maybe on another occasion. And it was very important for these believers to have a word from the Lord, an authoritative word to help set the record straight and to bring them out of a dangerous heresy that had begun to break out from within the Colossian church. And this was the heresy. The gospel is not enough. Christ is not enough. You need other things, angels and spirits and spiritual forces and mediators and rites and religious practices and all kinds of things. You need to turn to the spiritual powers. You see, you Christians, you've only got Jesus. Well, we've got all the angels and we've got all the other spiritual beings and they all help us and we talk to them and they talk to us. 
The idea was, in this heresy that was arising, was that these people, they said, we got a better view of the spirit world. You've got a very narrow view. You're too focused on Jesus, but there are many, many other gods and entities out there, spiritual forces and principalities and powers, and you need to spend time with them because they're the ones who will really help you. See, what was happening was they were mixing some Judaism that they had with some Christianity and with some paganism and mixing it all together. This is a great danger in our generation as well. We need to stick to the pure, simple, and all-sufficient truth of Christ and not go outside of that to look for other things that we think we need because everything we need is found in Christ. He is the preeminent, all-sufficient one. One of the other directions they were going in was using all kinds of hyped up legalistic type things like works and rites and rituals and observances and fastings. All of these were not, not just part of discipline, but to bring you closer to God. I want to tell you, in the name of Jesus, it's the blood of Jesus that brings us close to God. We don't need anything else. The gospel needs nothing else added to it. So Paul spends some time talking about who Jesus really is. And in chapter 1, verse 15, and onwards, I'll read a few of these verses, they're outstanding. It's talking about the preeminence of Christ. Now, it's not that Jesus is in the, uh, the super league. He is above and beyond any league. He is in a league of his own. There's no comparison to him, no comparing. He is the Lord, the creator, the savior, the ruler, the coming king of the whole world. And he is Lord of the whole world, including the invisible world, and he is all you need. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn here is a title of honor that was given to the firstborn son in a royal family, meaning that this is going to be the son and heir of all things. Jesus Christ was not created. He didn't come into existence. He is the eternal word of God, the eternal son of the eternal father. But God honored him with this prime position. Verse 16, for by him, that is by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And this is addressing the Colossian heresy, saying he is above all of these. If you want to get somewhere, go to the top. And anyway, all of these, particularly the fallen angels and demonic spirits and, and evil, wicked principalities and powers, Christ has defeated them all, triumphed over them by his cross. They are defeated, destroyed and driven out. And you, you have nothing to do with them. Verse 17, he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. This shows us who Jesus is. Imagine what force, and science can't really explain this. They can describe it, and they're getting better at describing it generation by generation. But if you look at the physical makeup of the universe, matter and energy, look at that physical side. What holds those atoms together? What stops us today from just simply disappearing into nothing and disintegrating. What holds the sun in its place? 
What holds the moon in this orbit? What holds the earth together? What holds the universe together? Galaxy upon galaxy, what holds it all together from the macro level, from intergalactic level, right down, Star Wars level, right down to microscopic level, subatomic level? Who holds it together? It is Jesus himself. You can't get more fundamental than that. And not just the physical world, but the spiritual world. And so these two verses, verses 28 and 29, I want to focus on them. Because the Holy Spirit is in the process of rehabilitating me. Maybe you didn't know I needed rehabilitating, but I did and still do. I'll tell you why and in what respect. I have found it a great privilege ministering all my life mostly to believers and leaders. I love those excursions into other areas where I preach the gospel and behave like an evangelist. And I love, and I love my Christian friends, but the people who don't yet know Jesus, I got a double love for them. I love spending hours sitting, talking to them. They're so interesting because they don't believe what I believe and they challenge what I believe at every level and they haven't heard it. The generation, particularly the millennial generation, hasn't even begun to hear, believe it. For many, many times, I happen to be the only believer they've ever met. They don't know we still exist on planet Earth. And so much so that I think, you know, coming and preaching the same thing to the same believers who say, yes, no, God bless you, see you next Sunday. I was kind of saying, in this process of saying, well, well, get me out of here, beam me out of here, because it's so much more interesting sharing your faith with people who don't yet know Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is beginning to rehabilitate me. And these two verses have been my rescue because they remind us of what the real purpose of Christian edification is. To remind one another that Christ is enough. Oh, come on, come on, you missed a good place to say, to say something. Christ is enough. You don't need him and something else. You just need him. And he is with you at all times. And you are complete in him. You can find out who you are, your completion, your total completion of identity, purpose, in Christ and in Christ alone. But there is an agenda. The agenda of the Apostle Paul, as he describes it here in Colossians 1 verses 28 and 29, is not just the apostolic agenda of those apostles of the first century, not just the agenda of Christian leaders in every generation, in every century, but it is the agenda of every believer. This is your job description. Well, it's part of it, one third of it. We'll come back to the others another time. But you are called to edify one another. We are called to edify one another. And I want to tell you, whatever gift of God is on me now, that's, that's the Holy Spirit operating. But from my heart, I am ministering to you as a brother in Christ. Amen. The Spirit lives in me. 
The Spirit lives in you and we connect together in the Holy Spirit. And when I share with you, your faith is strengthened. And when you share with me, my faith is strengthened. And we build one another up for a very real purpose, as we shall see here and now. So let's have a look. Verse 28, Paul says, we proclaim. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to start with the first word. We, we, we. When he says we, who's he talking about? He's talking about three things, really. First of all, he, he means the apostolic we. And by this, I don't mean the kind of apostles that exist today. I'm talking about the 12 apostles, the primary apostles of Jesus. They weren't called just to bear witness. They were eyewitnesses of what they testified to. And also Jesus gave them special authority. And here we have the Apostle Paul, who is a little bit out of sync. He, he came in later, but still a full apostle. So that these apostles were living representatives of Jesus. So that when they spoke under the authority of the Spirit, it was as if Jesus was standing before them. In other words, they had full authority. And when Paul says, we proclaim the gospel, he's also saying, we bring the revelation of what the gospel is. They didn't have the New Testament at that time, but they had the apostles. Now, we have the New Testament, and apostles no longer give us authoritative, infallible inspiration. They don't speak with the same authority. When we speak, we speak from the authority of the scripture. All right? So when Paul says, we proclaim, he says, listen up. This is a word from Christ, which is showing you what our teaching is. It's a revelation of what the gospel is. And that revelation is complete. And now we proclaim the revelation and build on the foundation laid by the apostles. Apostolic we, very important. In other words, this is authoritative. This is not Paul's opinion or even the opinion of a godly spirit-filled man. This is the voice of Jesus Christ carried on the lips of the apostle. The second we is the leadership we. Here we might think of Timothy. Chapter 1 verse 1 says, Paul and Timothy, they're writing together. We, we proclaim. Timothy was not an apostle in that first sense. But he was a person recognized by God, appointed by God, to be an official proclaimer of the gospel. Somebody who was very specially set apart by the Holy Spirit to present Christ and to teach in his name. We have that today. The equivalent of it would be those who are called to public proclamation and in a position of public leadership in the church. We proclaim, and I'm so glad that here we proclaim him. Amen and amen. We don't mix or mince or try to add stuff to it. The gospel's enough, Christ's enough, he is all sufficient. Then there is the third we, that's the one you saw when you said us. It is us, all of us, believers. And my example of this is a man called Epaphras. He figures here in uh, Colossians 1 verse 7, says, just as you learned it, learned the gospel from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Now, Epaphras has a story. We don't know the full story. We know that by now, he was a, a colleague, an associate, 
a man who was being greatly used as a leader in the Colossian church. And in all probability, this is how it happened. Paul was in Ephesus. He longed to get to Ephesus, tried to get there a second time round, managed it the third time round. The second time round, the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him go in. But finally he got there and he preached and proclaimed Christ for two years, openly. And people came from all over Asia Minor to, to be with him. And undoubtedly, one of them, by the name of Epaphras, heard him, found Christ, and became a believer in Jesus Christ. He was so excited about his faith, he went back to Colossae, his hometown, and started witnessing. And as he witnessed, just as a believer witnessing, people got saved, they gathered together, and that's how the church was founded. Then he found himself suddenly with the church on his hands, he better discover what it means to be a pastor. And it all happened. So you and I are called as boldly to proclaim Christ as those first generation apostles, leaders throughout history and every believer today. Do you have the faith and the courage to proclaim Christ today? Amen. When I was in detention under police, um, whatever they do to you, anyway, um, <clears throat> I couldn't even go to the toilet on my own. It was like that. But anyway, God gave me lots of things. He gave me peace. He gave me boldness and he gave me a, a little bit more fluency in French that I might always not otherwise have. Everything was conducted in French. C'est la vie? Okay. So, but you, you know, when you stand up for Jesus, the Holy Spirit is with you. I, I want to say that to you. Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. And I could see, I, I, maybe they thought I was arrogant, but I was certainly not. In my mind, arrogant, I was bold. And when power and force and intimidation comes against you because of the gospel, get ready because the spirit of boldness is coming. Amen. Now you need knowledge and wisdom as well, okay? But really, it's not a time to back down from the gospel any place, anywhere in the world but to step up to the plate, demonstrate Christ, have his love fill your heart, be full of the spirit, knowledge and wisdom, and the boldness will be there. I am calling you as believers in Kensington Temple Ministry, London City Church, to be bold for Christ and to proclaim him everywhere. Can I have an amen? <clears throat> then, uh, when it, the word for proclaim here, it's not the usual word for preach the gospel. It's just, it's making a declaration, making, delivering a message. But there is a part of that word which intensifies its meaning. And that is the prefix that is attached to that word. So it's to proclaim, but to proclaim in a certain way. And that, that prefix has a very rich meaning. Basically, it has the meaning of a downward movement, okay? Are you with me on this? Okay, it's a, a downward movement. So he says, when I proclaim, I don't just speak words in the air, I lay down a foundation. I lay the truth down. I establish it firmly. Which implies that if you're going to lay down a truth, you have to also disarm the falsehoods. You tear down the doctrines of the enemy, 
You tear down the lies and you proclaim Christ. You lay it down. This is a ministry we need, not just to talk and quote scriptures, but to have a spiritual authority in which you announce and proclaim the gospel in no uncertain terms that it's laid down firmly in people's minds, knowing that they have the freedom to reject it or accept it. You can persuade, you can speak with authority, you can lay down, you can destroy arguments, but it comes down to the freedom of the individual conscience to hear the voice of the Spirit and be responsible for the decision that you make. So there we have, we proclaim. Then, oh, we can't, get, we can't go much further because who do we proclaim? It's not just what we proclaim. We don't proclaim a set of doctrines or philosophical ideas. We proclaim a person. And when you discover who this person is, the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will want to proclaim him. When you really understand who he is, you will understand his place in your life. He is the preeminent one. So I, I, I don't know how you work. Let's, let's go with football league. You go da 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 da. You come to the first. Then what's after that? The Premier. What's after that? They were going to make a super league. I don't know. So Jesus is not just the star of the winning Premier League team. He is in a league all of his own. He is infinitely exalted and infinitely supremely worthy, far above all principality, all power, everything. He is God's fullness manifested in the flesh, the image of God, the one who is as fully God as the Father. And, and not only is he one who proclaims who he is from heaven, he is the one who came down. The fullness dwelt in him in a bodily form. And when he came down, he humbled himself even to death on the cross. Wherefore God has exalted him and given him the name which is infinitely above every other name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee one day will bow. Now, voluntarily out of love, or when he returns, they will have to acknowledge who he is, no matter how reluctant they may be. At that time, bowing down to him will not be for salvation. It will be acknowledging who he is, despite the fact that you don't want him in your life. And so, he says, him we proclaim. Oh, yes. The, 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 the current move of God, I, I like to be very cautious in my language, right now as I describe this because I, I don't want to give a false impression but God is drawing near to this church in a new way God is speaking to many people our services our meetings God's presence is manifesting and is going to keep on manifesting and it could well be that we'll discover that we are part of a fresh, new, global outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And when that comes, certain features we know about already. It will be all 
about Christ. Not very much about us. In fact, not at all about us. It'll be all about Christ and we can trust him because he's all about us. He cares for us. And what we will need, and I believe God will give it to us, get ready for it, open your heart for it, is a fresh revelation and realization of who Jesus is. Let me put it to you like this. Are we agreed that Christ is present in this meeting by his Holy Spirit? Do you feel his presence? Some, yes, maybe, no. But when Christ returns, we shall see him. Take a look at Revelation chapter 1, that glorious vision. It won't be somebody that you could walk past and not notice in the marketplace as it was when Jesus was upon this earth the first time. He will return in all his glory. And when we see him like John, who fell down at his feet as though dead, will recognize who he is. And what I want it for that to be a wonderful, joyful surprise, not a shock saying, oh my, 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 I never knew this was you. Because if we want his, the rightful place that he deserves in our lives, we have to know who he is. And for this, dear brothers and sisters, human reflection, human meditation, important as that is, is not enough. We need a fresh revelation. We need our eyes opened to the glory of who he is, the Holy Supreme One. Just join me, lift your hands in his presence, right where you're sitting, just lift your hands. Right, lift, right sitting and ask God for a fresh revelation of who Jesus is. We want to see you, Jesus. Open the eyes of our heart. Amen and amen and amen. How wonderful. And when you see the supremacy of Jesus, the preeminent one, the matchless one, the peerless one, the one who has no equal, the honored firstborn, the son and heir of all things, the creator, upholder of all things, earthly and spiritual, the fullness of God, the one who requires no other or needs nothing added to, then we will know that we can rest in the sufficiency of Jesus and be prepared to give him the rightful place and proclaim him boldly. So Paul says, him we proclaim. Then he uses some other words in the sentence. He says, we, we warn everyone. Did you see that? Verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone. Um, now, this translation translates that word as warning. Other translations use the word admonish. It's a beautiful word. And, and there's a degree of tension. But we can appreciate warnings when warnings are needed. We have warnings everywhere. When we ride the road, we have, drive on the road, we have warnings. And those warnings are there for our safety. They're put there by people who love us, want to protect us, and enjoy finding us to make money when we disregard the warnings. And what this says is that there are, are consequences. And uh, today, there will be consequences that follow the preaching of the word. 
And the consequences that I want, I'm sure what you want, are the good consequences that come when you receive the word, that it change your life. The consequences are fruit, fruitfulness, and joy, and peace in believing, and growth and maturity. So it's a wonderful thing. But if we don't receive the word and allow the enemy to take it away, then the opposite kicks into place. But this word translated warning, uh, I love the way C.K. Barrett, who is, uh, was a prominent Bible commentator, he describes this word as this positive and creative confrontation performed in love. Positive and creative confrontation performed in love. It's an intervention into somebody else's life. Literally, the word means put something, some truth, into the mind of someone else who needs to hear it. And the important truth that is to be presented is the truth that matches the need of the person and has practical implications. The idea is there's something wrong that needs to be corrected. Now, none of us likes to be corrected. Uh, we don't like anybody telling us what to do. But a, a believer is someone who is open to correction. Are you open to correction or do you think that you have the truth and it will die with you and your reactions and where you're doing things have, have always got to be right? No. Where there's something wrong, it needs to be corrected. And this happens characteristically from outside. Because we don't believe we're wrong. We don't, we don't get it. For example, we might hear a sermon that says something like this. Ha ha! You've got to get out and evangelize and tell the world about Jesus. Everybody says, Amen, Amen, Amen. Go out the door and it's lost in a thousand rationalizations that go on in your heart. Yes, that was great, lovely message. Of course, it doesn't apply to me. I'm busy. I've got to work to do a job to do, blah, blah, blah. And, and we rationalize God's word through a, a set of complex internal processes in which we are prone to normalize disobedience as standard Christian living. You know that? Do you know that experience? And that's why we depend on somebody else to speak into our lives from the outside. It might come as a jolt from outside, but that jolt from outside, if it is performed in love, comes is motivated by the spirit of a person speaking the word of Christ and it resonates immediately with what's happening in your life because the Holy Spirit is working in you. And so warning is important. Correcting thinking so there's a positive change in outlook and behavior according to the word of God. This is important and it was important for those believers because I don't think somebody stood up one Sunday morning in the service and said, Hello everybody, my name is such and such and I'm a rising star in the midst. I'm one of your new ministers and I want to tell you that what you've believed is wrong. Jesus is not enough. You need more than Jesus and list the whole names of angels and demons you've got to worship in order to be full. I don't think it happened that way. I think they became accustomed 
to some of the religious syncretism happening, the mixture of this, the mixture of that. Very dangerous today because everybody says, says all religions are the same, they're all, it's okay, you can be this, you can be that, it doesn't really matter. And we can get confused and actually start to believe some ideas which are not purely Christian ideas. We start to mix it together and soon we are open to all kinds of things that are directly against the scriptures. And then the other kind of deception goes on and saying, oh, typical evangelical Christian, you are so narrow. Anything outside the scriptures is unacceptable. And then they would start to pick on you for your narrowness. And somebody would come and say, well, I believe in everything. I remember interviewing a young lady in Brazil for a millennial project, a uh, project for the millennials, and uh, she was such, such a lovely, lovely lady. Uh, but young, this, this is what she said. Oh, what do you believe? I believe in everything. I believe in, I believe in all the religions. And then she went on to say what she, what she really meant. I, I don't believe it because it's true. It's true because I believe it. This idea that you can make up your own truth. Everybody has their own personal perspective, experience and background. But truth is truth whether you believe it or not. And if Jesus is the Christ, if he is the son of the living God, if he truly died on the cross for our sins, was raised again from the dead, and if he has been granted by the Father this preeminent position as the Lord of the universe, then that is true whether you believe it or not whether you are an atheist, a Christian, a Buddhist, a Muslim, whatever you are, that is true. And whatever you believe about, that doesn't alter the truth. But if it is the truth, then best wisdom is to bow to that truth and follow the one who is your Lord and Savior. Give him a praise. Notice Paul goes on to say, I, I admonish everybody, I warn people with in all wisdom. Now, this word is again extremely rich. Let me put it to you this way. Knowledge is what you're supposed to know. Wisdom is how you put it into practice. Wisdom is practical application of knowledge and truth. And we need knowledge, but also we need wisdom. So today, internet gives you access to all kinds of knowledge. A lot of it, fake news or alternative facts. Yes, yes, there's a lot of tweets about that recently. Anyway, so all that stuff is there. So people don't have the discernment to work out what is fact and true, uh, and they just stick to their own circles and reinforce one another's misapprehensions and ignorance. So that's why we weigh things and check things out. But even if the internet does give you amazing access to incredible amount of truth and knowledge, it doesn't necessarily give you wisdom. And so people may know a lot, but not know what to do with it. Now the gospel doesn't need something else added to it so that it can be applied to your life, either with psychology or philosophy or other religions or all kinds of ideas. No, the gospel carries in it all the wisdom of God which is placed for us, all that we need to know, everything that we need is actually in the scriptures, but not just bound in a leather book, because the word of God is living and active, 
And when we open the Bible and read the print on the page, and we open our hearts to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit takes these words and applies them to our lives in all wisdom. And so these believers in Colossae, they didn't even have the New Testament, so they were turning to all kinds of devices, di di divination methods, soothsayers, and, and all kinds of mediums to say, give us guidance, show us what I must do. I've married a man, do I, do I get rid of him? And all this kind of stuff. Now the Bible, listen to me, will speak in detail by the Holy Spirit to every situation, challenge, or circumstance of your life if you give him time and say, God, show me. See, the Bible is not an external book. God's word lives on the inside and the Holy Spirit lives on the inside. And when, when the word of Christ dwells in us richly, we can admonish one another and God will give words of wisdom through people, not those who stand up and try to make themselves look important. And the worst thing that can happen is somebody walk up to you and says, thus says the Lord. Well, I, 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 I don't think that's very helpful. But when you share together in your family setting, in your cell groups, in, in your social interaction and conversation and sharing together, always share Jesus. That's what it's about. Wherever you are, share Jesus. Don't have to be quoting scriptures and, and turning it into a mini 11 o'clock service, but share Christ. And when you share Christ, wisdom will come from you that will speak to people's lives and give direction to the exact degree of detail you need. So if you're facing bankruptcy, there is wisdom from the Spirit. If you're facing job loss, there is wisdom by the Spirit. If you are seeking God for a partner, there is treble wisdom. Please use all three because you're gonna need that one. God will speak to you. Yes, he does. We're in a relationship with Jesus. We're not in a relationship with words on a book. The Word of God lives in us, and this is the Bible, this is the Word of God. But let the Word penetrate your heart, and let God speak to you, and let the Holy Spirit use one another, use others to speak to you. There is a Word for every season, every situation, practical guidance for your day-to-day -day life, down to the minute detail, how to respond to your past, dealing with the present and the future. And for this, certain preconditions are necessary. Let me ask you the question. Are you hungry for that knowledge and wisdom from the Word of God? I mean, really hungry. Not just knowledge, understanding and wisdom. And if you are, what are you actually doing actively and intentionally to pursue it, to grow in knowledge? What are you doing? Uh, right? I, uh, you can answer me and say, well, we're sitting and listening to you. Thank you for that. And that's a good start. But do you take this message? Do you talk about it in yourselves? Do you apply it to your life? Do you get it, download it free for online and watch it again and receive God's word? Let it penetrate you deeply so it can bring forth fruit. Also, the second question is, are you in a relationship with somebody else, with, with groups of believers with, who are authorized within KT? In other words, uh, people that are, are, are going to really truly be helpful. Are, are, they, are they ready? Are you ready to receive what they have to say? So anyway, warning every man. Then he says teaching. Here 
is, is this discipleship relationship. Teaching, a teacher corresponds, you've got a teacher, you've got a student, right? So the word for teacher is the discipler, the word for student is the one being discipled. And we are to disciple one another. Okay, so let's say, so I don't want to embarrass you. Okay, so, so this man here, and he says, oh, Pastor Colin, did you know such and such and such and such? And I say, no, well, I didn't know that. What's he done? He's taught me. Yes? He's taught me. Yes? Okay. And if I say to him such and he didn't know that, I've taught him. And that's how it works. Not one of us knows everything that we need to know. Now, um, at the age of and uh, after so many years of studying and everything like that, I may know perhaps a whole lot more stuff than a new believer might know. I've lived, I've been through situations, I've been in the school of life, that might give me some experience, but I am always so delighted when the youngest daughter in the children's ministry or the newest member of the church says something profound and inspired and I, wow, how did you know that? And of course, it's the Holy Spirit. So we, we are to be in this relationship with one another of disciple and disciple makers. And we have a structure in the church that doesn't guarantee it happens, but there's an invitation, an opportunity if you'd be part of the cell ministry where the cell leaders are trained and released to encourage you to grow in your ministry and to be a disciple and to be a disciple maker. And so Paul says, I'm teaching, teaching, teaching everyone. Then it comes to, to me, this is, the, this is the key to my personal rehabilitation. Because you know, up till now, we might be saying, so I've got to say this and keep saying this, I've got to keep preaching to believers, rather than be the more exciting work amongst non-believers. Why? For what purpose? And when can I take a break from this? Holy Spirit says, never. When you understand the purpose, you will give your heart and life for as long as you live to this purpose, as well as reaching the lost, but building one another up. So he says, what does he say? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. Just join me and say, everyone. everyone. I looked that up in the Greek language. Do you know what it means? Everyone. That means you. One of the things that we do, remember I talked about this process through which we rationalize. Oh yes, oh the cell ministry, that's for the, that's for the um, you know, passionate ones. Evangelism, that's for the crazy ones. <laughs> Tithes and offerings, that's for the generous ones. And we put ourselves in a category. God has an agenda. And when we line up with Jesus Christ and minister for him with whatever capacity, we line up with that agenda. And the agenda is this. Every single one of you is so built up in their faith, making full pro progress to come to 
maturity in Christ. Now, is anybody here can honestly say that they've reached total maturity in Christ and don't need to grow anymore? Nobody, or you, there's usually one, but anyway. <laughs> My hand wasn't lifted. I have so much more growing to do and so much more maturing. And you as well. And I want us to be in covenant agreement here that my job for you and your job for me and our job for one another is to so encourage and build one another up by all the loving means that God gives us so that we become mature and like Christ. So it's not about just saying the same things reluctantly to the same reluctant audience who go home and forget, forget about the word by the time they've had their Nando's lunch. <laughs> it's about people who are, oh God, speak to me. Show me even today, even if it's just one thing, that out of love I can correct for you, I can grow. And if today we were there, sorry, yesterday we were there, today we're here, tomorrow we may be there, but never mind the next day. It's not about pressure, it's about love. It's the love of Christ that constrains us. And suddenly now there is an agenda, not just to get your ticket to heaven, passport, and hope that you won't be returned home when you try to go to heaven. There won't be those policemen up there saying, we refuse you entry. No. When we have our ticket to heaven, so to speak, our faith in Christ will carry us through because Jesus will never let us down. But what do we do in the meantime? Grow. Build one another up. That E of edification. Encouraging, developing, growing, being ready, being hungry for the Word, being hungry for the Holy Spirit, experiencing Christ, becoming more like Him in our attitude, our choices. What is maturity? Maturity is it's about love. It's about the nature and character of God's love being so developed in us that we bear the fruit of love. It's also about dealing with our preoccupation with self. We, are, we have a pathological condition. It's called self-itis. And we're all that way, naturally. It's about me, me, and more me. And there's lots of ways of doing it and looking spiritual at the same time. But the Holy Spirit exposes the meanness, the us, the way, the self-centeredness. And maturity is when we're willing to turn away from self-centeredness to put all our focus on God and others. That's what love is. And here's another great test of maturity. It's the ability to let God be God in your life. And what I mean by that is this. We lose that selfish spirit of entitlement. That we think that we serve God. God, I'm serving you. Where's the blessing? God is not a genie that you rub on the lamp and like, okay, and he comes out, oh, yes, hello, Colin. Your wish is my command. It's the exact opposite. God is committed to you to your welfare, your blessing. He's committed to your character. 
He's committed to preparing you for His purpose in this life. And it is not always comfortable. There are times when going God's way is going to hurt you. Going God's way isn't going to feel good. And if we only follow the feel-good factors, we are just like the pagans. This is a true story. When I was teaching in a Bible school somewhere in the world, talking about the will of God, a lady said, well, I'm asking God for a husband. If he doesn't give me one, I will go and find one myself. And if he doesn't give me what I want, I'll find some other religion that does. So is that person truly... Now, I don't judge that person because I don't know the whole situation and circumstances, but at least she was honest to say what she was really thinking. Are you saying that in some way? Unless I get this, this or that, then I'm not going to go for God. And if I go for God, he better come up with the goods. Without pushing this where I've just been other, and other places in the world, it costs believers everything. Do you know that in Morocco, if a Muslim comes to faith in Christ, that person loses all his rights as a citizen of Morocco? All of them. Well, I'm not saying it's easy in this country. But we don't even have begun to learn the price that some believers are paying. Don't expect you to, that to make you feel guilty. Please don't. Thank God for the freedoms we have. Let's use them wisely for the sake of the gospel. Give Jesus a big praise. Colossians 3, verse 16. This is where I want to land briefly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Can you see the word admonish there? It's the same word as warn in the other verse. So in other words, what Paul did, he was equipping others to do. That's our job. Then Paul goes on to say, by the way, there's no exceptions. Warning everyone, teaching everyone, bringing everyone to maturity. And he says, this is, I toil in this. Verse 29. I toil. The word toil means to work hard enough to feel weary and fatigued. Toil. I struggle with this, in this. The word struggle there is the word that where we get the word agony. He says, I agonize over this. And if you're ever involved in Helping people to come to Christ, helping them grow in Christ, you know that it is, you have to agonize. 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 And the agonizing is not just in the energy that God gives you in order to learn, to study, to preach, to proclaim, to live the gospel, but particularly it means agonizing in prayer. Colossians 4.12, Epaphras gets the last mention here. Remember I told you about Epaphras, he was probably the new believer that went back home to Colossae and a church started simply because he witnessed. Who knows what will happen if you start witnessing? No matter how young or old you are in the Lord. Anyway, Paul says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling 
on your behalf. It's the same word, agonizing on your behalf in his prayers. Why? That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So this is agonizing spiritual work, agonizing prayer. And I think much more is achieved on your knees, agonizing before God on behalf of somebody else than always going on at them, confronting them. It requires an open heart that only God can give. I call you to a ministry of agonization. Write that down, publish it. Kensington Temple's Ministry of Agonization. Well, I'm playing with words, but are you, are you willing to do that? When this spirit of agonizing and intercession comes on me, with everything in me, I want to step back from it. Because when you really let the Holy Spirit take over, the agonizing prayer and intercession, it's like a woman in childbirth. And God wants us to care for one another like that. That in not just reprimanding, confronting, but that we would pray for one another. Pray for the people who are on the periphery, that they would come right in. Pray for people who are growing cold, that they may be heated up again. Praying for the pastor who needs restoration back into loving, preaching, to te uh, te te teaching believers. Which I actually, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. I'm having a good time today, and I'm glad I'm here. But I still love the lost, eh? So my final question is this. Are you willing to let God work in you that way? This is this E of edification. It's at least one third of the call of God upon our lives. And it's for every believer to be equipped. We have so many equipping things here. It's all in revival times. Cell leaders are here. People got to ask me badges. And if they've asked me, and, and you ask you, they, they, they don't know the answer, they'll take you to somebody who will. But so important that we take on board the seriousness of who Jesus is, what we're called to do, the freedoms we have in this country, and to be bold in proclaiming him and building one another up so we come to perfection, that we become like Jesus. Amen and amen.